In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Let us continue our Bible study from Psalm 72. This psalm actually is written by David the prophet and for his son Solomon. As we read in the beginning of the psalm in verse 1, give the king, he means King Solomon, your judgments, O God, and your righteousness to the king's son. To the king's son, also King Solomon, because he is king son of king. He is king son of King David. So he will judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice, etc. But all the fathers of the church said this actually Psalm intended to be or to refer to the Messiah. So give the King, our Lord Jesus Christ, your judgment, O God, and your righteousness to the King's Son, the Father's Son, because Jesus is a King and the Father is also King. So King's Son is about the Father. We will start today from verse 12. From verse 12, he is speaking about the nature of the kingdom of Christ. For he will deliver the needy when he cries, the poor also, and him who has no helper. So the Lord, when the needy cries, the Lord will deliver him. He will deliver also the poor, and he will deliver the person who has no helper. So verse 12 to 14 expand on the important theme introduced in verse 2 and verse 4. In verse 2, he will judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. He will bring justice to the poor of the people. He will save the children of the needy and will break in pieces the oppressor. So what he mentioned in verse 2 and 4, now he is actually reflecting and expanding on them in verse 12 to 14. He is bringing justice to the lowly and needy, saving them from those who oppress them. The justice and righteousness the psalmist prayed and hoped for regarding his son will be perfectly fulfilled in the greater king, his son Solomon, the greater king in Jesus Christ. So as I said, he wrote it for Solomon, but in a prophetic way, he is referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. A very important characteristic of the kingdom of the Messiah, kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, is compassion. The Messiah will deliver the needy and the afflicted. What he said in verse 12 is part of the reason nations will choose to serve him. Why nations will choose to serve the Lord Jesus Christ? and be in his kingdom because he will deliver the needy when he cries the poor also 
and him who has no helper. Christ wins the people over by his justice, by his just rule, and not by the power and the sword. What makes the rule of this king so special because he dedicated himself to save the needy and rescue the oppressed. Who would not fear so good a king? It is not the fear of hell and punishment that lead people to submission to Christ, but it is the goodness of God that leads me to repentance, as we read in Romans chapter 2, verse 14. So, people respect and honor this king and fear him, not fear of punishment, but fear of reverence, fear of love, fear of submission. As St. Paul said in Romans 2, verse 4, that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. But who are the poor? He said, the need when he cries, and the poor. Who are the poor? Many church fathers said the poor are the poor in spirit, who acknowledge their spiritual poverty. For example, St. Augustine says, this needy and poor man is the people of men believing in Christ. And this people are also kings adoring him, for they do not disdain to be needy and poor in the spirit, that is humbly confessing their sins and needing the glory of God and the grace of God in order that this King, Jesus Christ, Son of the King, Son of the Father, may deliver them from the Mighty One who is the devil. So the poor doesn't mean only person who is financially poor, but poor in spirit. He can be a king, but he is poor in spirit. He goes, confess his sins, and he feels he is needy for the glory of God and the grace of God. That's what St. Augustine says. He explains that the mighty, to deliver them from the mighty one, the mighty one is the devil turn it from a crafty creature into a mighty creature by our iniquity. For if man had not yielded to temptation, he never could have been subdued by the devil. Why some people are subdued by the devil? Because they yielded to temptation. Man became the captive of the devil by his sin. St. Augustine continues and says, But he, Christ, that has humbled the splendor and has entered into the house of the strong man, house of strong man is Satan, when he descended to Hades, to bind him and to spoil his vessels, he, Jesus, has delivered the needy and the poor man. For this neither the virtue of anyone could accomplish. No one can bind the Satan. No one can plunder his goods. No one can deliver the needy and the poor man from the hand of Satan except the Lord Jesus Christ. 
neither an angel, nor archangel, nor a prophet, nor just a man, not a patriarch, can accomplish this. When then there was no helper, then by his coming, by the coming of Christ, he saved all of us by himself. Verse 13, he will spare the poor and needy and will save the souls of the needy. He will spare the poor and needy and will save the souls of the needy. Now he tells us in what manner Christ will deliver men from the devil by forgiveness of their sins. He spared the poor and needy means by forgiving their sins, he spared them. Once the Lord forgave our sins, the chain that held us captive to Satan are broken. So he spared the poor and needy. Christ also will bestow grace and justice on them. So save the souls of the needy. He said two things. He spared the poor and needy and will save the souls of the needy. He spared them by forgiving their sins. Save the souls of the needy by granting us his grace. So his grace will help us to continue fighting the temptation. So St. Augustine comments. He has recommended to our notice both the aids of grace. What are both? Forgiveness of sins and granting us his grace. Both that which is for the remission of sins, that's number one, when he says he will spare the poor and needy. And number two, and that which consists in the imparting of righteousness, when he added, and will save the souls of the needy. For no one is meet of himself for salvation unless God's grace aid. No one can save himself without the grace of God. Verse 14, he will redeem their life from oppression and violence, and precious shall be their blood in his sight. So verse 14 is stating in another form the idea that his reign would be one of justice, protecting the right of the poor and delivering the oppressed. Yes, Christ's special tenderness toward the poor and the lowly is a main feature in all descriptions of his kingdom in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Old Testament like Isaiah 11.4, Isaiah 29.19, Isaiah 41.17, etc. And also was emphasized by our Lord Jesus Christ when he came upon the earth, like in Matthew 11:5 and Luke 4:18. So the Lord Jesus Christ not only remits through his grace the original sin, but he frees from the actual sins added to it and from all iniquities. When he died on the cross, he forgave all sins for all people in all ages. So the lives of the poor and needy are often considered to be of little value, not important, but their blood is so precious in the eyes of God, as he said, precious shall be 
their blood in his sight. So the Messiah, the greater king, will regard their life as precious. Where blood here means life because the soul of the person is in his blood. The incarnation of the Son of God is a manifest proof how precious is human nature in his sight. Why God became man and why he died on the cross? Because we are precious in his sight. Otherwise, he wouldn't do this. Verse 15, And he shall live, and the gold of Sheba will be given to him. Prayer also will be made for him continually, and daily he shall be praised. How can we understand the prayer also will be made for him? Maybe to him is acceptable. But how prayer will be made for him? This what will explain according to St. Augustine. The first part in verse 15, he shall live. Some interpret it as he is talking here about Christ's resurrection. Yes, he will die, but he shall live and reign in his everlasting kingdom. And some interpret it as a prayer for the king to live long and prosperously, as an echo of the regular acclamation, long live the king. So the psalmist prays for his son Solomon that may the people not only greet him with the customary acclamation, and offer him the best gift, but pray for his welfare and bless him as the source of their happiness and prosperity. When he said the gold of Sheba will be given to him, prayers also will be made for him continually and daily he shall be praised. So, speaking of Christ, what does it mean gold of Sheba will be given to him? mean giving Christ of their best and rarest in grateful acknowledgement of his goodness and protection. So those who are redeemed by Christ, who owe so much to him for protecting and saving them, will consecrate to him all that they are and all that they possess. And they are constantly praising and glorifying him. Pray, prayers also will be made for him. Like when we offer prayer for him continually, as when we pray, thy kingdom come. We speak about the kingdom of the Father here. So we are praying for the kingdom of God to come. That's one interpretation, what he means prayer made for him, for him. But St. Augustine, comments on the word for him and says, but how to understand for him is difficult because we pray to him, not for him. Except that when prayer is made for the church, for himself a prayer is made because she is his body. So when we pray to the church, what is the church? The church is the body of Christ. So when we pray for the church, we are praying for the body of Christ. So we can say we are praying 
for him because we are praying for his birth. Verse 16, there will be an abundance of grain in the earth on the top of the mountains. I want you to think, can you imagine there is abundance of grain on the top of the mountains? Definitely not. So what does this mean? There will be abundance of grain on the top of the mountains. It's a fruit shall wave like Lebanon, and those of the city shall flourish like grass of the earth. Verse 16 may be understood literally as a prayer offered by the psalmist David for the fertility of the land and the prosperity of the people. But it can be also understood in a spiritual sense and means an abundance of spiritual graces. The Didaki, which is the teaching of the apostles, quoted this phrase to refer to the sacrament of the Eucharist, the source of the blessing of the church. So the green here from which we make the urban, the oblation, and so the Didaki said this verse is about the Eucharist which is the source of blessing to the church. So abundance of grain means abundance of spiritual food. The word of God, this our spiritual food, will be on the top of the mountains. Top of the mountains in the places which are naturally barren. For it is in the valleys, not on the top of the mountains, that corn and grain usually abounds. So we need to understand this symbolically. The abundance of grain is the abundance of spiritual food, the word of God, which means it will reach every area in the world, in the valley and also on the top of Mount. Then he said, its fruit shall wave like Lebanon meaning the fruit shall increase and multiply and will rise higher than the cedars of Lebanon. The cedar of the Lebanon is known as the tallest tree in the world. But the blessing of God, the blessing of the fruit of the word of God will be higher than the cedar of Lebanon and that's why it will wave. So such fruit will consist in the crowd of the believers. And the believers will flourish and be multiplied in such numbers as to resemble the growth of the grass on the land. And those of the city shall flourish like the grass of the land, of the earth. And this happened actually. The gospel after the death of our Lord Jesus Christ was first preached in the city of Jerusalem and was blessed for the conversion of many there who were fruitful in grace and good works. Luke tells us in Acts chapter 6 that the word of God spread and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. That's what we just read in verse 16. Multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. 
verse 17, his name shall endure forever. His name shall continue as long as the sun, and men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him blessed. Definitely these words apply only for the Lord Jesus Christ. His name shall endure forever. David concludes the psalm with prayer and praise for the future Messiah. His name shall endure forever means his throne is forever and ever. His kingdom is an everlasting one. As we say in the creed, his kingdom shall have no end. His name shall continue as long as the sun. Many people persecuted the, the church and persecuted the Christianity and they want to abolish the name of Christ, but they will never succeed. His name, the name of Christ, shall continue as long as the sun. All nations call him blessed. As he said, men shall be blessed in him and all nations shall call him blessed definitely will be blessed in him. But they call him blessed. These words are taken from Genesis 22, 18. When God said to Abraham, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And explained by Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 3, verse 16, St. Paul said, he does not say in your seeds, plural, as of many, but as of one, in your seed. So your seed is one, and who is this one? And to your seed, who is Christ? So Christ is the fulfillment of that great promise that God said to Abraham, in your seed, in Christ, all nations of the earth shall be blessed. All nations then will be blessed by Christ who is God, that's to say, nobody will be blessed but only through Christ. And in reaction to this, all nations shall praise him. The time will come when all nations of the earth will honor and praise him. Verse 18, Blessed be the Lord God and God of Israel, who only does wondrous things. Verse 18 to 20, some say that this soxology, these three verses, 18, 19, and 20, is not part of the psalm, but was added to mark the close of the second book of Psalms. The book of Psalms was divided into five books, and Psalm 72 is the end of the second book. So they closed the second book by this sexology from verse 18 to 20. The sexology, which means praising God, starts by blessed be the Lord God, the Messiah, who is truly and properly God, the Lord of all, to whom such a sexology of glory and blessing properly belongs, since all good things are from him and by him. And the works in and through Christ is works of wondrous things. 
as he said, who only does wondrous things. Verse 19, and blessed be his glorious name forever, and let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and Amen. God alone does marvelous works and must be praised for those works. Blessed be his glorious name, the name by which he is known. You know, God revealed himself as a shepherd, as a father, as bridegroom, as a teacher, as a savior, as a king, many, many names. So all the names by which he is known, all by which he has revealed himself, might be regarded with veneration always and everywhere. So we venerate him because he is our shepherd. We venerate him because he is our bridegroom. We venerate him because he is our father. We venerate him because he is our savior. We venerate him because he is our king, and so on. And let the whole earth be filled with his glory. With the knowledge of God, with the manifestation of his presence in us, we will be filled with glory. So the thought of the greatness of God and his work naturally leads the heart to long that this blessing be extended through the whole earth. So when we reflect on the greatness of God, when we reflect on his work, then the desire of our heart want that this blessing of God will be extended to the whole earth not only to touch the whole earth, but the whole earth should be filled with his glory. Let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Then Amen and Amen means so be it. Let this occur. Let this time come. And the expression is doubled Amen and Amen to denote intensity of feeling. Yes, I want this to come, to happen, to occur, so be it. It is going out of a heart full of desire that this might be so, this might be fulfilled. Verse uh, 20, the prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. Verse 20 doesn't mean that all the Psalms written by David are ended. Because after Psalm 72, there are many Psalms written by David. But it rather means the end of the second of the five books of Psalms. So as I told you, it, it divided into five books. Psalm 72 is the end of the second book. That's why it says the prayer of David, son of Jesse, ended means that this is the end of the second book of the prayers of David, son of Jesus. Some say that this verse 20 is not part of the psalm, which makes sense, but it was not placed here uh, by the author of the psalm. Yeah, David did not place it here at the end of the psalm. It's worth noting that these are not only psalms, but prayers. So these psalms are prayers not only songs, song means a song. This actually concludes our Bible study from Psalm 72 tonight. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.